cliffcentral.com. A warm welcome to Leadership Transformation Platform, Multiplying Authentic Leaders, and that moves society. We believe it's wonderful to be with you. I am Adrian Grunewald, all the way here from Kruger National Park in the bush. So grateful for technology that makes these things possible most of the time. Yesterday we had big, big rains, and in fact, all night, just about all night, no electricity, and I was worried about the Wi-Fi on this side. So, But this morning, all good. Um, for all things leadership, go to leadershipplatform.com, one word. Two P's in the middle, and I've got the old man on the other side, and Teng sitting with our guest, uh, the old man Louis Grunewald. Welcome. Thanks, audience. Great to be with you again. Um, and our very special guest, we want to talk about corporate activism uh, under the hashtag corporate activism campaign. Uh, I think we will understand that very clearly when we're done by today, but um, very important. I heard a brilliant quote recently from a um, well-known man in South Africa that I'll share with you in a moment, that if we don't get involved in some kind of activism in our lives, uh, we're in trouble in, in, in South Africa. But John Foster Pedley, Dean of Henley Business School Africa, uh, really wonderful to have you with us. He's sitting in his office at Henley Business School in Gauteng. Welcome to Leadership Platform. Thank you very much, Adrian. It's a pleasure, and uh, I would like to have the locations reversed. And there's a very big spider on the wall behind you. I can see this in the Kruger. <laughs> <laughs> there are many of those. Um, so it's it's fantastic to be here. It's beautiful. It's green. It's um, it, it, it is a privilege. Just very quickly before we talk to you about um, corporate activism, we're going to talk about authentic leadership. Just your views on it, and, and I know you have strong views about leadership. Uh, as you should have when you when you run a business school like Henley. But before we go there, how long has Henley been in South Africa, and, and then how long have you been leading it? Uh, we've been here around 27 years, Adrian, and I've been leading it for coming on to seven. Before that, okay. I was with the University of Cape Town for 15 years. Yeah, you, you, so you've been there quite a while, and, and, and I don't know, I, I feel like you've put it on the map even more during your tenure. Yeah, it was it was a small office. We had five people, and we were running an MBA, and now we're 55 people. We've grown 800% in revenue. We've uh, set up executive education. We've launched a family-friendly MBA. We've done a whole NGO thing called MBA. And now we're the largest international operation of the University of Reading in the world, which is a, a owns Henley Business School. And it's been a real journey. Um, it's fascinating. I think we've been the fastest-growing business school in Africa, as far as I can see, from the various conferences I go to. It's been a real buzz trying to make this work. I've kept my eye on, on Henley for, for a while now, not, not with that kind of detail, but I think your answer proves that there's been incredible movement. For us, leadership is all about movement, and preferably, preferably profitable movement, but not in terms of money necessarily. But So well done. I mean, you've proven your leadership, not just your business school management uh, capability and uh, and we certainly need up-to-date, modern, um, agile business schools like never before. We'll talk about that towards the end if we have a little bit of time. Before we kick off with uh, your call it campaign for corporate activism, it's almost a sin if you appear on this platform without talking about authentic leadership. And I'll explain a little bit later as we as we discuss it, you know, the activism element as well. I think describe to us a couple of statements that um, best explain authentic leadership for you. What is authentic leadership in, in, in your eyes? To me, being authentic as a leader is, is literally that. I mean, you have to 
know yourself to a high degree, and you've got to have a range of things. Firstly, I think it's always about purpose before anything else. So if you're worried about acquiring money as, or if money is a driving force behind your, your venture, I don't see that as optimum leadership. I think you've really got to have a purpose. We have a purpose, which is we build a people who build the businesses to build Africa, and we reflect on that, we drive everything to it. We know that by creating value, you know, money will come to us. So authentic leadership is about having purpose. And secondly, it's about having ego control because um, you're going to be pushed as a leader into areas where people are going to say, yeah, you're doing very well, or they're challenging you, they're beating you up. And I think you've just got to understand that the purpose is bigger than that. And if you can't manage your demons and who you are, and if you can't grow, then you're not going to be a great leader because the, the final thing about leadership is it's a service. You are a servant, and I don't mean that in a super humble way. If you've got a purpose, you are channeling and a conduit for that. So you have to serve that purpose, and if you lose track of that and start thinking it's about you, and, you, and if you think you can reign for, shall we say, over 30 years, like uh, various people do from time to time, um, then you've lost the plot. Um, you are redundant. You're there for a while. You serve the role. You borrow the role you're in, and there will come a time you have to move aside. But the thing is, do your level best while you've got it so so yeah uh, otherwise your your leadership reign ends with the house arrest doesn't it hmm. um exactly and, and and we see these things all over our beloved country so so let's just unpack each of these a, just a little bit more john uh, i did hear you correctly always checking with uh, technology you said ego control did you say that ego control absolutely 100 okay. then we're on the same page let's go to know yourself i i have this um metaphor I use and I put it on video while I've got Kruger behind me with big trees and I, and I talk about being rooted in yourself and and I think if if one could use an arbitrary number if you were rooted at a, at a level of 50 or depth of 50 in the past it better be at a depth of 100 now because the winds of change and pressure above the ground are raging like never before and it's picking up speed and we see leaders faltering all along and we're going to talk about that in a few minutes so that knowing yourself do you concur that I must know myself better now than ever before. And and maybe it's a never-ending quest because the potential of a human being is never-ending, which means I could delve into who I am forever, perhaps. But just thoughts on that? Yeah, I don't know about more than ever before because, of course, I wasn't there ever before. <laughs> but when you read, you go back to ancient Greek times, you read Aristotle, you read leaders through history. I mean, they've all had same, they've all had levels of challenge that are huge. I think you've, the reason you've got to know yourself is because there comes a time when you are faced perhaps with a leadership position or you have a purpose that drives you. And um, often you feel so desperately, this has to change. You say, well, they'd better change it. And then you look behind yourself and say, wait a minute, I don't see any them there at all. So it's down to me. And you think, what, me? And you think, yeah, actually you. This is your turn. Step up into it. And it's, but, but, but I can't do that. I, I'd feel a fraud. I'd be, you know, I'd be an imposter and tough luck. You know, if it's the time to do something, it's your turn to serve. It's your turn to step up into it. And then what happens is you think, well, how can I do this? But, you know, it's always been like that for everybody. If it's your turn to try and you can see that's your opportunity, step into it. And then will come all the challenges, the psychological and personal and family and all the other challenges that come with leadership. And you have to learn to navigate them. And you can't navigate them in the abstract. The only way you can learn to deal with that is to do it. And in order to do that well, you've got to be willing to put yourself in the firing line. 
and um, and take some tough times. And that's why I say purpose is so important because a purpose that you believe in needs to be always bigger than you. And that will hold you in through the tough times where you're, where you're crashing, where you're under criticism, and you just hold that. And the second thing I think is really important, and I know on radio I should do short answers, but may I carry on a bit? No problem. Um, I, one, one step back quickly. I mean, you've, you've integrated it so well, but the know yourself thing. You see, I, I, I've met leaders um, over the last 20 years, including someone like President Zuma as a case study for a moment, who, who seemed a few years ago to know himself quite well. But um, I'm not so sure that as the pressures uh, were piled on to him and um, and he thought maybe he knew what it, the position of a president requires and I think then he discovered, no, I don't fully. Um, I think I, I meet leaders who think they know themselves well enough until they climb into that new position, that new responsibility with the world changing ever so fast. And, and then they discover they didn't know themselves well enough uh, with that kind of pressure being piled on them. So it's, it's just a very important Element. I think almost every leadership development program these days start with a self-awareness module, but I, I don't think it reaches deep enough anyway. Do um, we your comment on that? And then, John, you add some more. I, I wanted us to touch on the purpose thing, the ego, control, and service, mm. and then we can move on. Well, I don't think you can learn leadership easily. I mean, people say you can't learn leadership, you're born into it. So I asked them, well, can you destroy leadership in people? And the answer is you probably can. You can probably put them in abusive, difficult situations, situations suppress them, and probably leadership will not emerge. And my view is if you can destroy something, then probably you can change the drivers into a positive cycle and make it emerge. It's very hard to be very predictive about leadership. I'm going to teach you this X, Y, and Z, and you will become a leader. But you can definitely set up the circumstances in which leadership can emerge. And I think you've got to understand some of those multiple drivers you can put in place to help leadership come out. So in terms of an educator, what do you do for leadership? A trite, and I'm going to say trite, a trite course on these are the six models of leadership and this is what you can do about leadership. Mm. You're teaching nouns. You've got to teach verbs. And the verbs are leading, you know, being, reflecting. And that takes time and repetition and scrutiny and challenge. People think learning should be kind of comfortable. No, it shouldn't. <laughs> learning should be darn uncomfortable. It should push you to the limit and be very tough. The good educators find ways to put people under enormous amounts of pressures in ways that they can tolerate and ways that also, by the way, don't damage their relationships and families. And that's what the art of brilliant education design is, putting people under a level of deep, deep stress that they can handle that forces learning and evolution rather than forces abstract conversations and intellectual kind of understanding of constructs. Yeah, that is the kind of learning we need in, in today's world for sure. I mean, otherwise, if your learning isn't a, a deep process, then it's not the learning won't be deep. Louis? Audrey, I just want to, to add to what both you and John have been saying, that your expression of rooted in yourself is a slightly different connotation which my experience the last few years strongly reinforces. Rooting yourself is not just knowing yourself. It's rooted in certain authentic parts of you that you believe in strongly, and that belief forms the basis of your motivation and your passion and your vision as well. So I think leaders must understand having a cursory understanding of yourself is not the same as rooted in yourself. You must be rooted in something in yourself that's so deeply embedded in your character that you just uh, are fearless as you go ahead, obviously in your values as well. Uh, John, let's just look at the ego control one. 
Sure. I, 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 I remember, who was it again? Brant Pretoria saying a leader should always, always be involved in deconstructing one's ego. Um, I mean, ego is a very, very difficult one because we all have it. And I guess, guess there's good and bad ego. What, tell us a little bit more about ego control, your views on that. Uh, you know, we don't, mustn't stigmatize ego because without ego, the sense of who I am and, and my identity, and uh, we'd never be able to do anything. So ego is a great thing. It's ego out of control that becomes narcissistic, which we're very familiar with these days, thanks to some lovely international role models. Um, that's the trouble. The challenge is how do you put yourself in, in – how do you get into places where you're under pressure or you're under praise, um, where you can now – where you feel yourself feeling proud of yourself and suddenly it becomes about you. What you need to do is have a way that you can reflect on this almost quizzically, almost with some humor um, about how what your mind and what your identity is saying. Hey, listen to how great I am. These people are saying good things about me or how terrible I am because I've been destroyed. And you've got to be able to detach from that in some sense and know that these are ephemeral and to some degree they're just illusions. What you have to do is be able to channel and use one's ego so in a sense, you can, it's fine for your ego to get big as long as it's in the service of something, as long as the ego isn't look how great I am. What, what an ego does is give you confidence, it gives you energy for something. But once you start letting that be about yourself and you confuse yourself with the role you're playing, if you forget what it's like when you go home to your teenage children or spouse and, and you suddenly you're not such a hero today because you haven't done X, Y, and Z, if you, if you, get, if you get drawn in by your own propaganda, you've totally lost yourself. You've got to be able to channel this and have a sense of humor about it and joke about it so that you can, you can have the power you need to, to, to serve the purpose you, you, you're trying to do. And also, so you can take the criticism, which you must get, because the criticism is what is guiding you in terms of are your actions effective? Um, how do you need to evolve to be more powerful in, in, in service of what you're trying to do? It's a tough one for you, right? Authentic leaders have total control over their egos, so I, I, I concur with you there. I, I think the challenge is who tells you. Often leaders end up in positions where where they don't hear what they should hear. People don't tell them what they need to hear. They, they tell them what they think the leader wants to hear, or they tell them what makes themselves look good. Or you know, there's a different um, motivation for what I tell my leader or what I report to him or her. And you get to that level where there's very little above you who has the courage to tell you that your ego is out of control. And, and therefore, if you don't inherently believe in this principle that you're sharing with us right now, if you haven't inherently developed those muscles to yeah. check your ego or to put it back in place, you're in deep, deep trouble. You are. And you only get to those positions when you've lost control of your ego, by the way. Because if you're not challenging yourself and bringing yourself down to earth, if you don't like your grounded self – that sort of humble person, the guy who's going to clean the litter, you know, clean up the dog poo, whatever it is, do all the stuff that, you know, oh, you can't do that. If you, if you can't be that person, then you've allowed yourself to be sucked into a position where you're surrounded by, I was going to say sycophants, that's not fair, but you created those people. What you have to do is, is create challenge to yourself. You've got to say, look, I'm not perfect. You know, I make lots of mistakes. You know, you better challenge me, otherwise I'm going to, I don't know where I'm going to take you. And then you can garner all those points of view and you can take it on the chin and say okay well i think we ought to go here then john yeah then once one's got an opinion which you need to be able to have you've got to have strong opinions and in my view people confuse strong opinions with um with i've got to be strong and have opinions actually you should have strong opinions lightly held 
Strong opinions strongly held are dogma. Strong opinions lightly held, give you, you're putting yourself on the line, we're going to do this, but you're also saying, I'm going to listen to the pushback. And if you're a great leader, you'll surround yourself with pushback, but you'll still have the guts to go ahead and, and, and bet, your, bet your own interpretation of that feedback at the end, knowing you may well be wrong. Yeah. So, so just before we move on, Louis and John, maybe share with me your thoughts on what we can tell someone out there when their leader does not seem to control his or her ego well. And I report to that leader and I can see it's destructive. I can see it's impacting the organization, the country. What do I do as a leader? Uh, my, my first comment, if I may say, is first, make sure that you're not viewed in the same way. I often say that to leaders. They say, my leader has an ego problem. And I say, well, how do you describe that ego problem? They describe it and I say, okay, if I went to your people, would they describe you in the same way? Make sure your house is in order um, so that you can then throw the first stone. But, but what do you do as a leader? Is that what we're seeing in our country? We're actually seeing several organizations rising up. We're actually seeing that they're telling the leader you've got an ego problem. What do I do as a manager when my leader is, is going wrong on, on this front? Adrian, you already mentioned a very important key that before you do that, make sure you understand the principle. John has mentioned some very important principles here. Uh, the, the one is about don't confuse ego with the necessary passion because I've seen people who are so worried about the ego side that they lose their passion and their confidence and, of course, they become weak leaders. Uh, I think, though, that John has also mentioned another uh, threading concept and that is about strong opinions lightly held. In other words, you're a person of passion and you know what you're doing, etc. But your opinion is lightly held when greater facts uh, come into play, when you consult, etc. So uh, if you strong opinions are always held, be careful because that's when it becomes egocentric as such. How, what you tell people, well, I think it's important that you are authentic yourself before you can try and teach your leaders that they're going the wrong step. It's very important. And because, sorry, John, I know you're going to jump in, but, but I, I think either you must have a bigger ego than the, the, the leader above you to fight him or her, or you must have really no ego to fight them, if that makes sense. You need the opposite in that vicinity. So that's why check yourself. You know, uh, that, uh, that's why in Zimbabwe no one has taken on Mugabe because he either needs someone with a bigger ego than him, and that's destructive because two people with big egos coming together, or someone who's a, a total humble, powerful leader who can, with confidence, stand up and, 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 and show people an alternative. But we haven't had that. So he's just remained in power, and we have a bit of that in South Africa. John, comments on this finally, then we move on. Yeah, it's, it's such an interesting kind of piece of reflection because I think one has to embrace one's ego paradoxically. We, we, we stigmatize it, but I think you have to embrace it and make it your servant, not your master, like money. So it's something you're going to use well. Um, the strong opinions lightly mm. held is, is, is very interesting because you've got to – how do you express what you're doing but know you may be wrong? I mean, as a commercial pilot, which I was an airline captain for a while, one of the things that happened often was that people would make mistakes. You don't want to hear this, but it's true. <laughs> Surgeons, pilots, everybody makes mistakes. And the worst mistakes mm. happened when you had a very strong power distance between the captain and the co-pilot. And there was a wonderful story about a, it's awfully wonderful, about a pilot um, taking off out of Heathrow in his jet, a grumpy old old school airline captain with a young co-pilot next to him, and everyone was terrified of this guy. 
and uh, would, wouldn't challenge him. And he was getting slower and slower after takeoff. And the co-pilot said, uh, sir, 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 please, sir, we're going a bit slow. And he, went, and he asked a couple of times, said, well, I better not say anything. And anyway, the airplane went into a stall, crashed, so it was a terrible disaster. What was really happening was that co-pilot, that, that captain was having a heart attack. And a co-pilot was too scared to challenge him. So they changed aviation in a way to insist that people ch- challenge. They had this um, acronym called mm. PACE. You had to point out something. You had to alert to a problem. You had to challenge. There's a C. And eventually you had to execute. You had to take over control. It's the same thing that you have to put in place around you as a leader. Um, so these are disciplines that you that you can do. And there is another thing is that um, it's – what are you going to put at stake? I had a, a great boss whose name was Tom Saunders, whose daughter was Jennifer Saunders, who's the actress in Absolutely Fabulous. She's the uh, not the tall drunken one. She's the shorter drunken one. <laughs> and his, uh, he was an ex-pilot, but he said to me, John, you're not doing your job unless you're being threatened with being sacked at least twice a year. And I thought, this is really interesting because we start to get – if you start hanging on to things, you're desperately scared of being sacked. But then, of course, we feel the alternative is going to be tragic. And that's very, very – of course, you've got family, you've got school fees, all that. But I, I think you've got to be prepared to put yourself on the line there. Most of the great people we know have been or are willing to put themselves on the line, knowing that the alternative is not doom. You don't want to catastrophize the alternative. You want to understand that smart people generally find a smart way to build themselves up again. And if you're smart, you're going to do that. So, have to, you know – Bet behind yourself and be willing to take, be willing to push back. So if you've got a boss who's, who's going to be so obnoxious, so unwilling to, to hear, maybe the fact that you're willing to push yourself in a non-aggressive way, willing to speak truth to power, may destroy your current job, but it may actually save somebody from himself or herself. So I think you've got to take, you've got to find a way to express clearly what you're saying. And there are techniques for that. Um, and that's a long story, but I think we, you, you actually have to be able to stand up. So you've got to take some risk. Some really good input there, John. I, I think put systems around you that, um, uh, that, that that shows that you realize that even you could, could start to falter in time. Um, so make sure you have something around you, checks and balances, um, that doesn't result in you becoming a monster for the organization and the, and the environment. Um, I just want to go back slightly to the first point that John mentioned uh, when he, you spoke, asked him what he considered to be the priority in terms of, of authentic leadership, and that was the one of um, purpose above all else. Um, what I want to mention is everybody speaks of purpose and vision and missions, etc., but, you know, uh, it's often not very impressive. But what I like, though, I must admit, when he spoke about their vision, uh, building people uh, to build building businesses which in turn build Africa. Now, you see, I can see that vision uh, motivating everybody on the staff, including the, the boss. I like that. That's a vision that you can see at the beginning from the end. So I think this is beautiful. It's very relevant to our time. Don't you think so, Adrian? I love that, you know? Yeah, when John said that, I thought that, that is powerful. It goes from working with people to business to Africa. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a nice statement, John. I don't yeah. know how when it came up. Uh, you developed it? Reflection. I mean, that's another thing we can talk about, um, and I will do. Um, so if you, we, we go away and we do these let's get a vision statement, but that, that's not the way to do it. You think, you think, you try and make it succinct, you try and get a sound bite, you try and really, you kind of close off and think, really, what am I about? Why the heck am I doing this? What's the purpose of a business school? 
And I'm I'm a late dad, so I got a 13-year-old girl, Kira, and a 11-year-old boy, Ayanda, and I think about their future all the time, as as all parents do, of course. And so I think, what what world do I want them to grow up into? I don't want them to grow up into a world of privilege, and certainly not a world of white domination. That's the last thing you want. But what you want in this country, you want everybody to have high levels of skills, so that the skilled people can build a businesses and economies that create value. If you want to lift people out of poverty, if you want to give the schools, the roads, the hospitals and everything else that we absolutely require and the education we need, then it's got to be a collective endeavor. Everybody's got to have skills. So we have to build people who can build businesses because I think businesses are a force for good or can be. They should provide value to people that help them in their lives. And I think great businesses do that. Of course, they then get captivated by themselves or trapped in by the exit costs of, you know, they become big corporations. It's very hard to evolve after that. So if you build a businesses, those businesses will create value, create, use money better, create the systems and the processes and the services and the products that we all need in our lives to live well, hopefully train us not to become crazily consumerist or obsessed with our iPads or whatever it is, as, as, as most people are, and that will build a country. And, and that's our job, and, so, and that's what educators should be doing. They shouldn't be slapping diplomas on people and saying, yeah, look how clever we are. In fact, you should be training people. Yeah, it's all very well. You've got a degree or a master's degree, but so what? What are you going to do with this? Okay, this, is a, this badge you put on yourself is not a, it's not a symbol of state, status. It's a constant reminder of provocation for you to go, go ahead and make something of it. You've invested this in yourself, and now so what? You're going to sit in a corner office, or you're going to be a cornerstone of something brilliant? Mm. Uh, <laughs> I think you might smile if you hear what's on my mind, but mm. it's almost like a really good business is a good citizen on steroids. Yeah, I you like know, that. Good citizens, but, <laughs> but I mean, a, a good business is a citizen. It's just an expanded one. It's one on steroids. It's one mm. that sees the greater good and and wants to not just make profits but actually build society. So so we need those citizens on steroids. Yeah, and I think the other thing you got to you got to really get clear in people's minds. We we great on hagiography, you know, making saints out of everybody. We're great on putting people up on pedestals. You know, one of the things about Mandela, we put him on a pedestal, but he continually unpedestalized himself. He made himself mm. accessible and made himself real, and we all related to that. And so that's why it's such an unbelievably motivating power of leadership. So um, we are just who we are. If you're a perfectionist, you're going to perfectionism is a pathology. It's an illness of the mind because nothing can be perfect. You can only do your best, and it's always going to be full of flaws. So you've got to take you, who you are, with all your flaws. So this self-knowledge is not about knowing my deep and darker psyche. It's just knowing you're fallible and you're not perfect and just getting used to that and, and kind of living with it because you know, that's, that's what we're given. So, you know, laugh at yourself mm-hmm. and just do your best with what you've got. And, and the thing I find and that the educator's privilege is to see people who don't believe in themselves growing, not in even ways you predicted, but after a while you just get used to knowing that these people have enormous talent. And if you set up the circumstances, they will grow in this way or that way. You can't take ownership or, or even credit for doing that. You're just doing your job. Great educators allow people to grow. And you get used mm-hmm. to people having lots of potential. Then after a while, you, you start to say, well, wait a minute, why is this just a few? It's not an elite. Everybody's got it. And you test it again on people who are junior, who haven't got education. You say, wait a minute, they're also smart. They've also got drive. Look, this, this talent thing is pretty pervasive. It's not that people are talented, but they have talents. 
And uh, can we find your talents or can you amplify them? And great educators help people find those things. That's just our job. It's nothing brilliant. That's doing our job well. It's helping people find their talents and helping grow them. That's what we ought to be doing. You know, that's why you would pay educators a reasonable amount of money. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen. But anyway, that's another story. <laughs> yeah, that's, your, that's an expanded explanation of your beautiful vision. Hmm. John, You, I saw a statement somewhere uh, that you um, sort of verbalized on leadership. You said leaders of today need to be accountable, have the courage to experiment, and be willing to fail. Hmm. We've got a big problem on the, on the accountable side, I think, in our society, collectively speaking. Um, courage to experiment, certainly in today's world, especially maybe with technology, and then willing to fail. Uh, we see a lot of failing leadership, but not en route to something good necessarily. You know, <laughs> they're failing because they're en route to something bad. Your, just a quick comments on that statement of yours, accountable, courage to experiment and willing to fail. Yeah, look, I'm a dean of a business school, okay? And if I say I'm the dean of a business school, Everybody's going to have a different set of what does the dean mean, what do they look like, how important or unimportant are they. But the reality is the dean is just a position. A position doesn't make me a leader. It makes me a person who's holding a position. I can have a position and be an appalling leader. And Or you can use a position to incentivize you to become to grow into that. A position should be a call to action. It should be a provocation. It should be a continual check and challenge. For you to, how can I be the best leader in this position? The leadership is the person. And, and, and the position is, is the role you're supposed to fulfill. So, so we confuse a position with a leader. <laughs> and the truth is you're going to get bad leaders filling big positions. And, and we have to be able to talk about leadership and what, what makes leadership a lot, a lot clearer. The other thing that happens is when people are in desperation and have huge need, they will really want the leader to fit a profile or to fit a stereotype of a savior. And if you pander to that wrongly, you will um, set yourself up as this person who is this savior. Your ego will say, I must be that person. If you say, look, I'm not, I'm just a normal guy, but I'm going to do my darnest in this role, and then you work at it, you'll probably do a very good job as a leader. But you, you won't allow people to project this sort of you know, saintly version or project this massive leadership version on yourself so that they can, you know, make their lives a bit happier. A great leader educates. A great leader communicates. A great leader makes other leaders and says, look, I'm just a guy holding this job right now and, and I'll do my best. But you, you know, the thing about Mandela that I was so taken with is that we said, what's going to happen when Mandela dies? And people would say, well, look what's happened. But actually, that's not what happened. What Mandela did, and what any great leader does, is they sow the seeds of many other leaders. They left millions of mini-leaders ready to grow. And these, these mini-leaders, who are you and I, need to try and do our best. Never get to that standard, maybe, or maybe, who knows. But we've just got to do our best to live into that provocation, which was, can you lead to? And so... I, I, I don't think it's, uh, you know, we have bad leaders, but don't confuse that with the position. If we have somebody who's a chairman of a company or a leader of a country who's not doing the job well, that's not the role of, that's not the position, that's the man or the woman. And we have to have the ability to, and the, and, and the language to challenge people on, on those characteristics of leadership and make those the role models in which people aspire to from a young age and talk about those. Otherwise, they will deflect our attention, create scapegoats of various groups or population groups or whatever you want, like Hitler blame the Jews, and we will say, yeah, it's their fault. And we will externalize the blame and the challenge onto other people. 
So for me, leadership is a fantastic game, which you can probably never win, but you can at least have a go at. I, I, you, you raised the thought in my mind of position versus uh, the, the person. Um, maybe there's a, a case to be stated for um, uh, as long as the leader feels inherently that the position is always bigger than me, bigger than what I am. I'm president of South Africa. The position is always bigger. The moment I start thinking I'm bigger than the position as the CEO or the manager, um, maybe I, I'm in danger territory. Uh, how you recognize it, how you identify it, I don't know. But would it be fair to say the position should always be bigger than us? And that doesn't mean I'm a, a, a mid, mid, uh, midway manager and therefore um, I now need to be promoted. I've had enough of this position. I think even if I've outgrown the position, maybe that means I'm starting to think, and maybe I am bigger than the position, and I need to move on to another position that's bigger than what I am. I don't know if there's any value in what I'm saying and if I'm making uh, sense. I think it makes a lot of sense. I, don't know. Um, I think if you recruit yourself into a position that's smaller than you, that's fine. Make the position greater. And not about you. Make the position serve whatever it's supposed to serve in better and better ways. And then you're creating a better and a larger challenge for the person who follows you to grow into. So sometimes you get into, somebody's left you something, which you now think, well, how am I ever going to follow this person? You have a go at it. And you won't be the same, but you'll be different. But if you're energetic and passionate and serve a purpose, people will forgive you your mistakes because they know you're serving. They'll never forgive your mistakes if they know you're, you're stealing from them. And, mm. and that's what happens with corruption. You, you, people think, oh, great, the person's got money. That's good. I could do that. But people don't understand that, that corruption is something that hammers the poorest and the weakest in our society. You take money from the fiscus. You take money that people are paid in tax that's being gathered. That's supposed to be serving the people who most need it and, and who most need to develop the skills so that we can build a healthy society. And you take that money for yourself and you squirrel it offshore. It gets taken out of society. It gets taken only to buy yourself whatever it is you want to buy. That is terrible. And then what you do, you blame other population groups. So what happens is that we have to be able to stand up against this and I don't think you need to blame individuals. I don't think you say it's X, Y, and Z's fault. Oh, it's them. You've got to understand we're all part of a system, that we are part of a system. In a sense, we can collude in this. And externalizing blame onto government or anybody else conveniently takes a lot of the pressure off you to work on yourself and actually step into leadership. You can now rail against them and be an activist on a road. That's not my idea what activism is. It's my idea of activism is being activist continually making things better. It's a very positive view of trying to make change happen. Now, just let's, let's go into that conversation. Louis, unless you want to pick up on something that's been said, then let's go into the activism conversation. Now, let's continue with that, Dorian. So, so uh, the past few months, uh, John and Louis, uh, and maybe even years, but particularly over the last year, we've, uh, it's been very revealing. I was trying to find the right word. Shocking, revealing, but very revealing, uh, especially when these these emails uh, came to light. And ethical blunders, left, right, and center. Corporate leadership, I think, in some way, expediently following political leadership standards, which is very sad for me. Uh, I guess it shows that one standard affects another, uh, and everything is integrated and, and influences everything. 
Leadership sorely lacking in many instances. Um, your assessment overall of what's going on, John, before we look at the corporate activism as such, what the heck is going on? Um, it's very, very interesting. You could, you could argue that the world has changed forever with the level of transparency and the exposure of so of hitherto hidden files and hidden data. Uh, if you go back some years, you know, I, I'm, as you can tell from my voice, I'm British originally and uh, with all the sins of colonialism and all the, the good side of whatever any culture brings. But you can argue that people would come to a place like Africa, uh, which was underexposed, information didn't free, and you could behave badly and get away with it. And that was, that was, that's what colonialism is, behaving badly and getting away with it. And, and then telling your own history about how great this was. I can assure you, when I was at school in Britain, we weren't told the downside of colonialism or what happened in all our dark past. We weren't. And it's quite a shock to start finding about that, um, out about that, and then, but then ultimately to find that most nations have these histories. So you start to discover things. So as, as information is so transparent now, you have to assume from here on in, you're never going to get away with anything. It's quite a safe bet. It's to assume that whatever you do now will impact you. It'll impact your career 30, 50 years on. It'll impact your company. And I think that's a transition that's happened. And I think one of the things that impel those transitions, apart from just social media, is just a conscientization about society. We're challenging what business is. It's like, yes, let's make some profits. It's fantastic. No, it's not fantastic to make mindless profits at, at who knows what social damage? You know, we, we, you have to provide value, and that value is to individuals and to society. And I think people are getting on board with that and willing to challenge. So I think what's happened now is that, that large corporations have, have taken on the habits of mille, or hundreds, maybe in some cases, certainly decades, of, of kind of, yes, we can, we can get away with this and we can cover this up, it'll be okay. I think the corporations have been either tacitly or actively colluding in, in, in these issues. I think there's a spectrum from turning a blind eye to things, uh, or the spectrum from starting at being asleep, just being unaware, or then turning a blind eye, and then to sort of actively colluding but think it's going to be okay and never going to be found out, or to actively initiating things. And when I look at the poor people in KPMG, and I'm saying poor people because these are human beings who've made mistakes, I think they've done really, really, really dodgy things. But I wouldn't say that they've been sitting in there initiating, yeah, let's do this. I think Bell Pottinger might have done, but I certainly don't think KPMG did it. I think these are probably decent guys. And I think at the very worst, they were turning a blind eye. I don't necessarily think they were trying to collude even. I think the pressure of the business helped them push into that. But I think they may have been asleep. And I think mm. being asleep is unacceptable these days. The question is you have to wake up. Well, you've got McKinsey, you've got, uh, I saw some rumblings, unfortunately, about T-Systems. I've got a lot of respect for the leader there. Mm. Uh, and so we can start picking up one after the other. Um, I, it's, uh, it's amazing how if you spoke to any top executive now in any of these leading organizations, I mean, these are professionally qualified at the best universities, yeah, yeah. Um, MBAs, uh, chartered accountants. You're right. You, you, they would tell you. They would tell you that they understand the principle, John, that assume from now on that everything you do will be visible because of the, the, the structure of our society and social media. But still, 
there's something inside that makes you think you can get away with it. You can cover it up. We see politicians all the time doing being caught out, and then they would still deny it up to the constitutional court almost. It's just ridiculous. So, so we haven't, I think intellectually, we've grasped this change in society, but practically and functionally, we, we haven't absorbed it yet. Uh, we're still thinking that we can act like, you know, in the dark. There is no dark anymore. There is no dark anymore, apart from the darkness of ignorance. And I think that, mm. I think that people who are captivated by serving their corporation are missing the point. I think if you're a leader now, you've got to have a bigger sense of purpose, your place in the world and what you're creating for your children. The fact that you're going to have a couple of large houses and your own career is happy and, you, and you've made some money and, and my kids at school is not going to build a great future for that child. Your child needs to grow up in a system, a country that's worthwhile. And so I think... Uh, I think this whole thing that you see with, with, with people sleepily going along with stuff because they've kind of gone along with the habits of the past is pulled apart. I mean, going back to aviation again, you know, you've got a pilot and an autopilot. You put on the autopilot when you want the airplane to fly itself and you want to go and have a cup of tea or read a paper or, or do very important checks, whichever myth you want to believe, okay? But the fact is you definitely don't want your pilot to be on autopilot. And as leaders, we are pilots who cannot be on autopilot. You cannot allow yourself to sleepily let things happen. And nor can you kind of willingly turn a blind eye anymore because this thing's going to hit you. And nor can you collude. I mean, you've got increasing levels of kind of engagement, personal engagement, but any of them are unacceptable. So you've got a duty to make yourself conscious and aware and to be provoked and to be challenged because you have to know – if you're not a narcissist, if you're not a sociopath, if you've got normal human kind of doubt and normal human empathy, you need to have that challenged. And you also, while sociopaths and narcissists under control have a very strong place in, in the world and they can do a lot of good, but you need to put those people, bracket them in a process they can't get out of control because they don't have ego control. They don't have the, the ability to manage themselves. So you've got to find a way to manage them. Um, uh I just want to come back to my notes here. I was trying to see on the screen. But hence authentic leadership, John. Uh, you know, authentic leaders are in the so-called dark, but they are in light. You know, they, 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 I am who I am. I'm human. If I make mistakes, I, I have the character and the discipline and the humility to say sorry. Uh, I, I just, I, I'm, I'm just who I am. And, and yeah. that's why we need that. We need people that are real. Um, you're proposing corporate activism and your hashtag corporate activism campaign what, what what does this mean exactly and you touched on it just now and 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 how will it help let's just expand a little bit on that well let me let me just if i may just talk through the context briefly as i can i mean look at what's happened you've got kpmg you've got mckinsey with a trillion thing you've got sap doing a self-declosure of malpractice in south africa and volunteering we have major fines in in in, in the states um You've got HSBC implicated now by Lord Hain in criminal activities of a, of, to a large scale. Um, so you've got these KPMG, you've got these companies that have icons of, of propriety now being challenged. So what happens uh, now? You can have the Bell Pottinger fate. So by acting in a place that you think get away with it, you're not going to. So not only is your job at stake, but your company's is at stake. These companies have massive brands values. Most of them are valued on intangibles, so the brand value is huge. 
What can happen in South Africa for a global corporation can impinge on your whole global operation now, and it can impinge on your own career. So suddenly the consequences are very obvious and very clear, and then the pressure on leaders to become aware and to be con conscientized and to be socially aware means that you actually have got to take heed, heed of the context you're in. If you're working in South Africa and you're not engaged in development and, and education somehow, then how can you call yourself somebody who's contributing to that? You can't. You're, in a sense, the same old colonial history where you come into a country extracting things, taking back the motherland and becoming rich. You can't do that anymore. You've got to be in a country and make this country work. That's actually your duty, in my view. So what's happening is that this, these collusions, these corruptions are, are happening. Now, none of this corruption or none of this malpractice can happen without the collusion of corporate life. You, know, you need audits signed off. You need consultants to help you set up processes. You need mergers and acquisitions to be dealt with and helped by consultants. If those consultants allow themselves to turn a blind eye or collude, they're actually enabling the sort of things we've seen written about in the press, about the Guptas and about other people, where massive amounts of money have been taken out of the country and circulated to make a few people very rich and the poor people not getting anything. So you have massive stakes now. So if you don't want to collude, we've got to be activists. And the, activ the first sort of activism is not challenging government. Let's be sympathetic for a moment. You've got some great people in government. You've got some great people in the ANC. You've got great people in the DA and EFF. So all these people have... All these organizations have great people, so don't let's stigmatize the whole thing because one or two people in there. But what you can do as a corporate, you can be, you can do your job. You can stop the criticism of business schools of turning out MBAs who cause global crashes, who all collude in corruption. You can stop that by saying that's not the way you're going to work. And I think we can stop a lot of the activities in South Africa that are undermining our economy and our future by getting corporates to stand up and say, this is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to do that. Even, yes, you may take short-term pain, but the downside of not taking that short-term pain is look what's happened to McKinsey. Look what's happened to SAP. Look what's happened to Bell Pottinger. Look what's happened to your own career. and Look what's happened to your conscience if, if you stay doing that anymore. So you actually have to stand up. So I'm saying... We have a movement in this country and probably many other countries of people who really feel deeply about this, who really want to do something worthwhile and are in a sense stuck on doing it. Easy to blame the government. Blame ourselves. Let's do what we can to stop colluding. Let's do good practice, ethical practice. Let's be transparent. Let's start sharing information and criticizing ourselves because that critique will, 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 will make life better. And let's start a movement of corporate activism, which is a positive movement, which is based on trying to improve the context of this country, help develop it, help develop the businesses that will build Africa for our children, for our future. And let's be part of that movement. Because cynicism is, 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 is you cannot have cynicism in leadership or, nor in education. Anyway. Mm. I mean, that's why it's so appropriate that you had at your event, I like this long name, but it's quite interesting, you had uh, Bonang Mohale, CEO of mm. Biarritz A, at yeah. your South Africa from Euro to Zero and Back Again um, <laughs> event, where he was there amongst other other yeah. uh, interesting names. Uh, is, is he or Biarritz A not trying to do exactly also what you're saying here? I, I, there's a great synergy, it sounds to me. Yes, I think there is. I mean, I, I think I just want to say one thing before we go. Stop making sense of people. You know, nobody's a saint here, or maybe there are a few, and I would really like to meet them, but I'm certainly not a saint. Um, 
Madiba was not a saint, and he said, don't make a saint out of me. Stop making saints out of people. These leaders are normal people. They will. You will have an element of malpractice, and you will have an element of ego out of control. But is it containable? It's like nuclear fission. You want it contained. And contained, it'll work for you. If you have leaks in it, it's going to pollute everybody. And that's the same with it. So Bonang Mahali is really trying to do something constructive in the country. And he's, he's trying to bring business leadership South Africa to the mainstream, trying to make a voice of, um, of good business. And he's trying to attract people on board with that, with that, and he's trying to initiate those changes. And I think there's many, many other people who can do that. We can all do it independently. If we're leaders, every day we have acts of leadership to perform. Let's try and do our best and, and allow ourselves to be wrong, for heaven's sake. Allow ourselves to be wrong because we have to, we have to be able to forgive ourselves for the, for the effort that many times we're going to fail. And that's why you need feedback and quick feedback because when you fail, you want somebody quickly to say, hey, that was wrong. And you don't want slow feedback because slow feedback is what gives disasters. You know, all airplane accidents are caused by little, little problems early on that people didn't notice. I'm, I'm, uh, former President Khalima Motlante, when he was on our show, he spoke mm. of us being a nation of activists. Yeah. Um, and then I recently heard one of your competitors, although he personally is not anymore, but Professor Nick Benadel stood up saying, if you're not some form of activist, Currently in South Africa, you won't be relevant, or something to that effect. I'm exactly. paraphrasing. Both great people, yeah. Yeah, fantastic uh, comments as well. Now we we say we want authentic leadership activists. You, we need authentic leaders, sure, but but man, we, we actually are already in that socio political economic decay that may be irreversible if we don't have activists consciously multiplying more authentic leaders. You're saying corporate activists. Um, Louis, just your comments from listening to what John said. What, what, what do you think of the initiative? Uh, Arden, also speaking as an old man who loves looking at essences and, of course, the bigger picture. This is how we kind of measure quality leaders. Um, one thing I like, uh, it's been in my mind a lot the last few months, and that is that, you know, all this momentum of accountability, we really have reached the age of accountability. It's a very important point, personal and corporate, that's what John was saying. But I think a person thinking they can now still remain asleep, individual and corporate, they are fooling themselves. So it's important to understand with all the, the incredible revelations coming around us, we are reaching the age, this is the age of accountability. So it boils down to a person's authentic personal commitment listen do i want to still be part of the old movement all kinds of movements um standards an idea of what is successful or do i really want to get on board and uh, bring about this heritage for my, my children and grandchildren so i think uh, what john is saying today with your input audience confirms we really are have reached the age of accountability this means it's got vital MBA implications as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, I mean, age of accountability, uh, I, I'm thinking out loud here, is, is, is it voluntarily that we reach that age or that uh, stage, or is it being forced on us by, by society, and probably both? Uh, it almost feels to me like um, society is forcing leaders to be accountable because a lot of them won't be. Uh, so, so you have, on the one hand, you have leaders who will not be accountable, then you have leaders who are consciously, uh, John um, Bonang and others, others are consciously going into this age of accountability. And then you've got society that's just simply standing up and saying enough is enough. 
we the trust deficit or uh, there's a trust deficit between leaders and followers and um, and we're holding you accountable via social media and other means so i i i i'm I like that concept of it's the age of accountability. And, and that's kind of what you're also saying here, isn't it, John? Yeah, it is. Look, I try and read a bit from time to time and look at history. And, of course, there have been many times when account, you know, time has come for the people to be more accountable. I think this is an eternal human dilemma. Um, and I think that what's happened recently is that massive changes we've had in business and technology and, and the way we work internationally has allowed us to to kind of get lured in by false things of consumerism, of, of a type of capitalism or kind of it, whatever the ism is, that's allowed us to abstract our basic human accountability. But I think what's fantastic that's happening in business now is we're looking at people. We're looking at what's in front of us. So at Henley, what we do sometimes is we do a whole load of work around um, experiential and action learning. We take executives from the various corporations, and we do action learning projects on NGOs. So we've launched something called MBAID, M-B-A-I-D, which is our the way we're trying to, it's one of our pet projects, how do you turn the activities of a business school to social good? So they work with NGOs, and these executives from the Paris Statals companies are now doing action learning projects to help NGOs. And that sounds great as if we're really helping NGOs, but it's a trick. Because the real trick is, by working on NGOs, what happens is people get wow, look at this, and their human instincts come out and they really want to get engaged in this. And they really forget their cynicism or they forget their restraint and they start trying to help. Now, when people are fully engaged like that and they're trying to help, they're, they're fully in the arena. And great educators can provoke what assumptions you work from. Can you, can you reflect on what you're doing here? What's this teaching about itself? And that's where they get the pain of insight in, in the pleasure of doing something really good for society. And it's an epiphany and a change. I think educators are about instigating a chain of epiphanies as much as giving a whole load of knowledge. And, and if you can educate, and that's why when you polarize this in good leaders, bad leaders, no, it's a process. We, we, we're in a process of people evolving and helping people. So as you get older, you become an elder. And what does an elder do? Well, it does what the gentleman on my right is doing here now, issue wisdom, you know, help you, help you reflect, you know, ground you, make you think that you can do things. And I think that the educators thing is to try and help these, try and help people evolve and not to categorize them into good or bad. You're on a process of leadership. Here are all the pitfalls in your life. Let's see how far we can navigate. How high can you fly? How far can you go? So practically, we want what to happen with this hash corporate activism campaign. Practically, do we want corporates to adopt it? Are you just letting it flow naturally or are we asking for – I mean, you look at BLSA, for example, they have this pledge right. that the, all the leaders that belong to it actually believe in. Uh, very not slightly formal. There was a launch. Um, you know, it's quite a, a formal campaign. Are, are you there with this? Yeah. What we're going to do on corporate activism, we're going to have a series of events to begin with. We had Lord Haim. We've got Bravan Gordon. We're going to work with whoever wants to step up and uh, – and talk about these things. And what we're trying to do is, is create a set of understandings. And the understanding is this narrative. If I allow people to distort the way money is used so it doesn't flow in good ways and productive ways, and you allow people to do that, you are creating something that causes the poorest in our country to suffer. It's not the middle class who suffers. It's those people we drive past and say, we're sorry for, we're sorry for. 
And you're not sorry for him if you allow this to happen. You're just part of it. You're colluding. So get people to understand that narrative and to wake up to that because that is the truth of it. Once we understand that truth, they say, well, what can we do about it? Well, what you can do about it, you can start practicing restraint. You can start practicing business emotional intelligence. You know, the story of the original story of, of emotional intelligence was these children were given one marshmallow in front of them. And they said, if you wait five minutes, you can have two. And the ones who grabbed it and ate it straight away were less emotionally intelligent than the ones who waited five minutes and got given two. So that's what we have to do. We need business emotional intelligence. You know, hang on there. Take some pain to get something much bigger later. That's the form of leadership we need to instill. We also need to be able to challenge and, and, and ruthlessly in a positive way. And I don't mean do anything horrible. Ruthlessly in a positive way. Make way for the right sort of leaders that are going to lead our country. Now, this sounds like you're trying to provoke sort of challenge. I'm not. You know, our job as a leader is to create new leaders. So if anyone's in a leadership position blocking the, role, the emergence of new leaders, then how can you call that person a leader? That's not a leader in my view. So we've got to change the narrative about leadership so we create a different set of role models. And we've also got to move beyond post-colonial, post-apartheid, post-whatever South Africa to understand that we're all in this together. And I don't care who is president or who is my boss. I don't care their, their race. I don't care their gender. I don't care their age. All I care about is they've got the right purpose and they're good at what they're doing and they can help other people grow and they get good value for people out of it. And that's the sort of country that we need to be part of. And we have to move from the past to get people to trust that this is truly what we want to do. John, thank you, and we wish you well. And if there's any way we can help, I mean, we'll talk offline as well. Then obviously, you know, we're here. We've got a, a, a platform for all leaders, and, and I'll tell you more about it. But uh, this is what we're about. Leadership platform is about multiplying authentic leaders so society can move forward. And, and, and we're not just an inclusive, uh, uh, you know, we're an, ex we're an inclusive, yeah, inclusive platform for all. So if there's anything we can do to help, let's, let's do that. Let's partner. I think it's, um, it's fabulous. Uh, Thank you for what you're doing with that business school. We don't have time left to talk about that, but I think you brought some of that in very cleverly in terms of what makes you different as a business school. It's my job. And, uh, and, 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 and it's just a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much for your time. Louis, do you want to give a final comment? I always, one of the reasons I'm still involved is because I really get excited when um, joined with an affinity of people that really care and prepare to pay the price. So mm -hmm. it was enjoyable speaking with you today, John. Thank you very much, and thank you very much for the opportunity. And, and if I may say, I think you've got a, I think you've got a bold and authentic and uh, platform I deeply respect, and, and I really hope that uh, we'll help you in any way we can, of course. And um, please keep up the fantastic work. Well done. John, your 20-second message to leaders out there would be what? Trust yourself. Think of your children and the future you want to get. Imagine a society where it's fair. Ignore your cynicism. And in spite of that, have a damn go. Excuse the swearing. <laughs> <laughs> and in, in other countries that are swearing, yeah, it's not. So thank you so much, John. Um, what a wonderful blessing. Hash Corporate Activism Campaign. John Foster Pedley, Dean of Henley Business School Africa. Thank you for your time that you spent with us. We really appreciate it. And thank you to all of you for tuning in every Monday. 12 to 1 on Cliff Central Leadership Masterclass. Join us, please, every week. Take an early lunch, and, and we look forward to engaging you. Thank you so much, everyone. Cheers.